Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Welcome, uh, Lake Point family. And hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter one. Um, that's gonna be today, <clears throat> Matthew chapter one. Real quick, I know that all of us, uh, a lot of us are still on like our trip to Van High from the Thanksgiving holiday. And, um, and we over obeyed that command from uh, the Psalms, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And uh, we know that. So hey, if you could do this <clears throat> here at all of our campuses, here in a second, would you turn to the person next to you and tell them the single most encouraging thing that any Christian can ever say to another Christian, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you look like you've lost weight. Do it right now. Come on. That's it. Do it right now. Just real quick. (laughs) Oh, all right, all right, all right. Well, hey, uh, we are in a uh, just a unique season. Our church is live. We've got a lot going on. And I just want to remind you guys, uh, we are in one of the most strategic seasons of the entire year for us at church. Um, right now, we're receiving what we call our annual missions offering. And uh, this is a time of year where we, as Lake Point families, we give above our normal giving. Um, and everything from this offering, the annual missions offering, it goes um, to our, uh, our works around the globe um, that we're doing to reach people for Christ and alleviate some of the pains of the world. So it's the money from our annual missions offering that goes uh, to help uh, local uh, ministries and charities in the Dallas area that are alleviating people's uh, pain and poverty and, and helping in all sorts of ministries here. It's this money that helps us continue to plant churches um, all over our nation in addition to the 42 church plants um, that we've already done. And it's this money that helps us continue to partner with our, our uh, 22 international partners in 12 countries around the world. And so kind of the theme that Jan and I in our own house is we've been praying about what to give. We've been kind of in our house kind of going, hey, let's reach deep so the gospel can go far. And uh, if you're in this season, we're receiving that offering now and just want to encourage you in that direction and uh, just continue to pray about, about what God would, uh, would have you do. Well, hey, what we're doing today is uh, we're starting a series. I'm kind of excited about this series. The title of the series is Carols. And here's where this comes from. Um, a lot of times it's, uh, it's Christmas carols and Christmas songs that end up being, they're the songs that we know the best, but a lot of times, honestly, we understand them the least. And what happens to Christians a lot of times around Christmas is we'll walk around and we're singing the gospel, um, but, but we're not really understanding it in what we're singing. And so each week of the series what we're going to do is we're going to take one of these timeless Christmas carols, these Christmas hymns, 
And then uh, we're gonna understand the meaning in the song and then the scripture that inspired the song. So this week, by the way, your worship gods are wrong because I changed what message I was preaching on Thursday. Uh, this week, uh, what we're doing is we're preaching my favorite Christmas carol. It, we're doing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Next week, we're doing Joy to the World so you can just keep your uh, hand out. And then, uh, and then the following week, we're doing Go Tell It on the Mountain, and that's gonna lead into our candlelight services. Now, really quick, um, because we're talking about this issue, really quick, I do need to vent about Christmas music here for a second, so let me do that. Uh, I like Christmas music, my family plays it, Christmas music is fine. The problem is that some of you insane people started playing it three weeks before Halloween, and so by now, I wanna put a toothpick under my big toenail and kick a wall. It's just like, it was a very violent image, I understand, but I needed to display the intensity of emotion. And what I'm also noticing is that just anyone anywhere thinks that they can produce a Christmas album and that's okay. Uh, for instance, this is getting a little out of hand. Uh, by the way, so for instance, let me give you a for instance. This is a real Christmas album. David Hasselhoff, The Night Before Christmas. Guys, just in case you've ever wanted a Baywatch star to serenade you to sleep on December 24th, this is available to you. Uh, by the way, I checked before this service. That's still available on iTunes for $10.99 for those of you who are interested. So that's there. And then uh, this one is Duck the Halls, a Robertson family Christmas. Just in case you've ever needed the Duck Dynasty family you know, to sing. There is actually a track on this album entitled, We Wish You a Hairy Christmas, uh, just for the record. But none of those are the worst Christmas song. Again, I'm venting here. None of those are the worst Christmas music that has ever been produced. In my totally correct personal opinion, the worst Christmas music that has ever been produced, let's hear it, it's this guy right here, Sir, I, wanna buy I can't do it. Guys, I just can't do it. This is the way. People have been spontaneously, you can cut it off whenever you want, whatever you wanna do. People have been spontaneously booing with me. I, I can't handle uh, the song Christmas Shoes. In fact, I've got a friend in Nashville who wrote a blog post uh, entitled, How to Survive the Song at Christmas Shoes. So this is just some helpful holiday advice. He said, number one, don't try to negotiate with it. Much like fear, the Christmas shoes song cannot be beat with logic or rational thinking. Don't waste time with questions like, where is this kid's dad? Does the kid have a dad? Why shoes? Why not a Christmas dress? Why not a delicious bowl of queso? Has an eight-year-old ever successfully purchased women's shoes in the history of mankind, okay? And then he said, number two, how to survive this song. <clears throat> he said, number two, stop being friends with people People who say it's not a bad song. They're wrong. Those people have terrible judgment and probably prefer unfrosted Pop-Tarts as well. There it is, you got it right there. Okay, now, the song we're doing uh, today, it's my favorite Christmas song. It's the song, it's, uh, it, well, it's also probably the oldest Christmas song that you've ever sung. The song that we're doing today, it was written between the 8th and the 12th century by a group of monks who what they would do is they would come together and they would sing a series of eight groaning statements. They would chant them uh, and they were groaning because they were groaning in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And each of these, uh, these statements, they were called the O antiphons, began with an O and they all, again, they cried out for the coming of Jesus. And there was one that they would sing that birthed this, the song we're doing today. They would cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
Now, that comes from, that is a very significant word. That comes from the passage that we're doing today in Matthew chapter one. So if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in verse 22 and let's read this passage together. So here's what it says. It says, and all this, by the way, all this, the whole Christmas story, uh, the, uh, the angel appearing to Mary to let her know that she would become with child as a virgin, the uh, angel appearing to Joseph in a dream to let him know, hey man, this, like, this is legit, it's okay. Uh, the birth, everything that's happening. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Then he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen, God with us. That was the thing that made everyone freak out in the very first Christmas. That doesn't mean much to you and me. You're gonna see here in a second, that was a big deal. That was the thing that made Mary fall on her knees and sing a song in worship. That was the thing that made the shepherds fall on their knees in worshipful awe and fear that God would be with us. That was the thing that made kings come from other continents to fall at the knees of the person in whom they would discover God could be with us. And let me help you understand why that was such a big deal. Here's why it was such a big deal. Because for thousands of years in the Old Testament, everyone knew that the presence of God could never be with us. That the presence of God had to always be separated from the people of God. That's what everybody knew for thousands of years in the Old Testament. So for instance, in the Old Testament, whenever the people of Israel, they built the tabernacle, the tabernacle was the place where the presence of God dwelt in highest density in a place in the middle of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. And separating the Holy of Holies from everywhere else in the, everywhere else in the temple, what separated the presence of God from the people of God, there was a curtain, a veil that was woven uh, as thick as your hand to separate God's presence from God's people. Why? Because a holy God could never be with his sinful people. Okay, number two, fast forward into the life of Moses. And you may remember there was a time in Moses' life where his heart's cry came out and he cried out, God, would you please show me your glory? And God said, Moses, I can do anything for you. There's one thing I can't do. I cannot show you my glory. And so what he did is he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. God put his hand over Moses. The Bible literally says that God passed by him with his hind parts facing Moses and God recounted his name verbally. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And God could recite his name to Moses, but he could not be with Moses. Why? Because God's presence had to be separated from God's people. You fast forward even, even a little farther into the book of 2 Kings, and there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, the big golden box where the Bible says God chose for his glory his presence to literally dwell for thousands of years. And there was a group, of, uh, a group of priests that were carrying, they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant, except they couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. Because why? Because sinful people can't come in contact with the Holy God. And so what they did was they ran wooden poles through holders on the Ark of the Covenant, and they only touched the wooden poles. Now there was one priest, a guy named Uzzah, who when they came to a spot where their feet slipped and the Ark began to fall off of its holding container, Uzzah, the Bible says, reached out and with one hand tried to steady the ark, touching it, and in that moment, God's presence came in contact with one of his people and Uzzah was immediately struck dead. Why? Because the presence of God could not be with the people of God. And for thousands of years, everyone knew that. God's presence could never be with God's people. And then in this story, in Matthew chapter one, we get this amazing promise, mystery of mysteries in the person of Jesus Christ. God would be Emmanuel, God with us. 
That's a big deal. And I wanna help you understand why that was such a big deal. And I wanna help you understand two things in this message. First, I wanna help you understand the doctrine. And then I wanna help you understand the devotion. What's that do to us? Doctrine, devotion. Let me start right there with the doctrine. Uh, There's a word, especially if you're new or newer to Christianity, you may have never heard this before. There's a word that Christians use when they talk about Jesus being born. They'll talk about how Jesus was God incarnate. Or they'll say that the birth of Jesus was the incarnation of God. That's the doctrine that we talk about. Now, I want you to think about that word, incarnate. Think about the middle of that word, carn or carne. That comes from the Latin word carne, which literally means flesh. Uh, we actually, uh, we use this word in, uh, in our modern day vernacular. Sometimes if you're anything like me, you'll go to a Mexican restaurant and you'll walk in and you wanna order your favorite thing on the menu. And I walk in and I wanna order chili con carne. By the way, after I explain this, you're never gonna order it again because this is so gross. When you order chili con carne, what you're literally ordering is chili with flesh. Merry Christmas. That's what you're ordering right there. And what what we mean by that, I want you to think about this. What the Bible's teaching right here is it's teaching that Jesus was literally God con carne. God with flesh. So what we're saying is that Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. He wasn't 50-50. He didn't start 100% man and then become 100% God. Jesus, from his birth, was 100% man and 100% God. Now, here's why that's a big deal. He did that for three reasons, and uh, and I'm I'm gonna show them to you, and they all start with R because I'm a preacher. Okay, here we go. So number one, he came to reveal, God became a person to reveal the character of God. The book of Hebrews says it this way. It says that Jesus is the, watch this, the image of the invisible God, and the exact representation of his nature. So listen, if you wanna understand what God is like, look at Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure out, you may have had some terrible people in your life who claimed to represent God to you. And you're like, bro, if that's what God's like, I don't wanna have anything to do with him. What I wanna say to you is, listen, don't look at them. There's only been one person ever who was the exact representation of his nature, it was Jesus. Don't look at your mean Sunday school uh, teacher that all growing up, he or she yelled at you about how hell was hot and eternity was long and don't you wanna go to heaven when you die? And when you heard that question, you're always like, not if you're gonna be there, I don't think I do. Don't look at them, they don't represent God. Guys, don't look at the yelling preacher that you, even if it's me, you know, that you're like, ah, if that's what God's like, I don't wanna, don't look at the judgy Christian that you've had in your life for 20 years. Even if you had awesome parents, your mom and dad are not the exact representation of the nature of God. There is only one person who's ever existed who you can truly look at, and when you look at them, you are seeing exactly what God's like, and that's Jesus. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. You wanna know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Now, number two, he didn't just come to reveal, he also came to relate, and this is so important at the time of Christmas. The book of Hebrews says this, it says, for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but it says, but we have one who is tempted like us in every way. And you guys understand what that means. In order for Jesus to be tempted like us in every way, he had to suffer like us in every way. And guys, here's what I figured out, is that I I call Christmas the great amplifier. Uh, if If life is good, Christmas tends to make life really good. Here's what I've also figured out. If life is hard, Christmas season tends to make life like really, really hard. Can I say something to you? Do you you understand this? When God came 
to the earth in human flesh. He suffered in every way that you will ever suffer. And here's what that means. No matter what you ever experience, God can truly look at you and with compassion, he says, I totally understand what you're going through. I get it. Think about the life of Jesus, guys. Think about this. You guys remember there was a time in Jesus' life where he stood in front of the grave of his best friend, Lazarus. Jesus knows what it's like to bury somebody you love very dearly. Uh, Jesus died single. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up watching all your friends get married and have kids and you don't. Jesus' family was very poor. He knows what it's like for him not to be able to make, he knows what it's like not to be able to make rent next month. Yeah, there was a time in the Bible where the Bible tells us that Jesus' own brothers made fun of him when he stepped into his earthly ministry and they didn't believe him. Did you know that God knows what it's like to have a very sideways relationship with your family? He knows that. Jesus was betrayed by every single one of his best friends when he went to the cross. Jesus understands a type of loneliness that no one on earth will ever experience. Do you, you guys know, some of you guys had parents who, uh, who they abandoned you or walked out on you when you were very young. The Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, that he was forsaken by his heavenly father. He knows what it's like to have a parent abandon you. You, know, you guys know this, some of you are in a season right now where you're praying really hard for something that you really, you know that surely God wants it to happen. And you're praying and praying and praying and it doesn't seem to be happening. Do you know that Jesus knows what it's like to have a prayer turned down? When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And God said, son, I love you so much, but I can't do that. He knows what that's like. Guys, Jesus knows what it's like. God knows what it's like to experience physical pain. Some of you are going through hard seasons, pain, illness, uh, chronic, uh, chronic pain. Jesus went to the cross and he suffered in a way that no one will ever experience. Why did he do all that? God came to earth in human form so that he could relate to us in all of our pains. And no matter what you experience, God can with a tear in his eye say, I totally understand what you're going through. Okay, now watch this. He also, here's the main reason. I'd do those too quick. The main reason he came is this third reason. He came to redeem. The most important reason that God became a person is he came to redeem. Now, this was driven home to me in a very personal way real recently. There's a principle that runs its way through the Bible and through human uh, experience, and here's the principle. It doesn't matter who you are, it matters who you're with. Now, uh, the story I'm getting ready to tell you is 100% true. I'm not embellishing this in any way. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened in my family. Uh, last Christmas, in between leaving our old, the church where we were and coming here, I had what will probably be my only Christmas off for the next 35 years. And so we decided to spontaneously take our kids on a trip to Disney World. The problem with taking a spontaneous trip to Disney World is if you book the trip last minute, well then all the fast passes for the good rides are taken and you can't get them. Well, last Christmas, the ride everybody wanted to get on was a ride called the Flight of Passage. Coolest experience I've ever had in my whole life, okay? But we couldn't get fast passes to Flight of Passage. So what we did is, the morning we were going to Animal Kingdom, we woke up really early to go to the park where that ride was, and we were like, we're gonna get there at rope drop so that we can go in, get on the ride, and, and you know, the kids will get to do it. The problem was, hundreds or thousands of other people had the exact same idea. <laughs> So we got there and we were like, oh shoot, you know this is never gonna happen. So we get there, uh, we're waiting for rope drop and while we're waiting in line, there was a totally normal looking lady standing in line in front of us and she took a liking to my two daughters, Eliana and Felicity. 
And sure enough, she started talking. Eventually, she asked Eliana, hey, what ride are you most excited to do today? And Eliana did her little batting her eyes thing. And, and she said, well, you know, I was really hoping to do the flight of passage, but daddy says that we probably won't be able to. And uh, this lady, she just got this little twinkle in her eye and she said, hey, just a second. And she grabbed her phone and she started texting. And about one second later, she said, hey, let me see your app, your Disney app on your phone. And we uh, pulled up our app, handed it to her, she handed it right back, and all of a sudden, there were four passes to Flight of Passage right there in our app. And I just asked this lady, I said, hey, do you work here? And she got a little smirk on her face, and she said, you know, well, not, not really. And I pressed her, and she wouldn't tell me anything about her. And so we went on, on, and as soon as the rope drop was about to happen, she just looked at us, and with a smile on her, a smile on her face, she said, when the rope drops, stay with me. Stay with me. And we did. And she grabbed us by the arm, and when the rope dropped, she took us on this little winding passageway behind some rides, around some things, away from people. We got to the flight of passage. Not only did she get us four passes to the flight of passage, she walked us up in front of everybody, whispered something to the attendant at the front of the line. He looked right at us, he said, come right on in, Mr. and Mrs. Howerton. And all four of us walked right in front of them, right into the line for flight of passage, walked right in. Okay, now listen. I thought that was the end of the story and it was gonna remain a mystery forever. Until, fast forward, eight months later, just a few months ago, I'm at a uh, hair salon with Jana. Long story, I'm not getting into that. And uh, we're, we're uh, <laughs> you know, I just, and uh, we're there and I'm, I'm there and I'm reading my favorite news site, you know, Fox, CNN, whatever, I, I get there. And on the front page of my favorite news site, I see the face of that lady. And I open this news story, I rush up to Jana, like, Jana, was this the woman that got us into Flight of Passage at Disney. Janet pulls out her photos from that trip. She looks, she looks at the picture. She, she says, yeah, that's her. I open up the article. Guys, it was Abigail Disney, the heiress to the Disney fortune, had gotten us in to the Flight of Passage. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, watch this. Let me just tell you something. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who you're with. That's what matters. It matters who you're with. Now watch this, that principle runs through the Bible. Now I'm getting ready to do something that, let me do something for you Bible scholars. It's gonna take me about three minutes to do this, to explain this to you, but the payoff's worthy, so you stick with me. You watch this, doesn't matter who you are, matters who you're with in the Bible too. You guys remember in the Old Testament when the Jewish people constructed the temple, they constructed the temple where the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was in the very middle of the temple. But remember, they built the temple to where you could only go as close to the presence of God. How close you could go to the presence of God depended on who you were. So watch this. Uh, on the very outside of the temple, there was, what was, was, there was what was called the Gentile court. And if you were a non-Jewish person, that was as close as you could ever get to the presence of God. But if you were a Jewish person, you could go through a gate to what was called the outer court. Now, above that gate to walk into the outer court, there was a sign that literally threatened death to anyone who entered closer to the presence of God in an unworthy manner. But if you were a Jewish person, you could walk into the outer court, and both Jewish men and women could be in that place. If you, if you were a Jewish woman, that's as close as you could ever get to the presence of God. But if you were a Jewish man, then you could go to this next place. You could go to what was called the inner court. And again, there was a sign above the gate threatening death to anybody who entered in an un unworthy manner. And if you were a Jewish man that wasn't in the priesthood, that was as close as you could ever get to the presence of God. But if you were a Jewish priest, one of the very few, then you could take the next step and you could go into what was called 
the inner court, or you could, to, to the holy place. And the holy place was the place where they offered sacrifices for the atonement of sins. It's where there was a candlestick with, uh, with seven flames on it representing the power of God. There was a table of bread there representing uh, God's presence with his people. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, that sort of thing. Uh, incense was offered there rep- representing the prayer of God's people. And if you were a Jewish priest, that was as close as you could ever get to the presence of God. But there was one other place where the presence of God actually dwelt, and there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And if, if inside of that room, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and for thousands of years, the Bible says that God chose to make his glory dwell there, this big golden box. On the top of that box, there was something called the mercy seat. And, it, and on either side of the mercy seat were two carved angels uh, carved in worshipful postures. And right there between their wings on the mercy seat for thousands of years, God chose for his glory to physically dwell in that place. But there was only one person one day every year who could enter into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and it was the high priest, and he could only do it after spending an entire day going through cleansing rituals, cleansing himself from his sins and the sins of the people. Why? Because a sinful person can never enter the presence of a holy God. Now, all of that was a separator between God's presence and God's people. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine you get to rewind thousands of years and you're standing right outside of that temple. And you, like 99% of Lake Point people, you're a non-Jewish person. And you're looking at that temple. And as soon as you're looking at it, a guide walks up beside you and takes you by the arm and says, come in, you're with me. And he begins guiding you and he walks you through the Gentile court and you're like, okay, this is safe. But then he starts to walk you under that gate where there's a sign that threatens death to anybody who enters in an unworthy manner. And he starts to take you into the outer court. You go, whoa, I can't go in there, I'm not not a Jewish person. And he smiles and he says, hey, it's okay, you're with me. And he walks you right through the outer court and he starts to take you into the inner court and you object again. Hey, oh, I can't go in there. Death for anybody who enters in an unworthy manner, I can't go in. He says, hey, it's okay, you're with me. And then, Mystery of mysteries, he guides you right through the inner court and he begins to take you into the holy place and a hushed fear falls over you because you know that no sinful person that's not a priest can ever go there and live and you go, oh, I can't go in there and he says, hey, it's okay, you're with me. And then he walks you right through that holy place. You see the bread of the presence, you see the candlesticks, you see the incense, all of it. And he walks you right up to that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that braided veil that was as thick as your hand. And he begins to peel back that veil that separated the presence of God from all his sinful people. And you immediately object. You're like, whoa, ain't no way I can go in there. I haven't done any cleansing rituals. I'm a sinful person. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. There's no way I can go in there and live. And he smiles and he says, hey, it's okay, you're with me. And he peels back that veil. And you look between those cherubs on the mercy seat and mystery of mysteries, you look and on top of that mercy seat is your guide. And you go, what, there, you, how is that possible? My guide is on the mercy seat. And all of a sudden you realize what happened is that God himself has chosen to be your guide and he chose to take you through all those places and you were allowed to go in, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who you're with. And the Bible says that is exactly what Jesus did when he came in human form. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, it says, let us now draw near to the throne of grace with confidence to enter the most holy place by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so now we don't get to enter the presence of God because of who we are. It has nothing to do with who we are. We get to enter the presence of God without fear because of who we're with. Jesus Christ became Emmanuel, God with us. And now we can enter in. And so now, and so now listen, you may hear all that and right now you're like, man, Josh, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever, if God could ever accept me, I'm a really bad dude, you know, I'm an adulterer, I'm an addict, you know, I'm a terrible parent, I just finished sinning that same sin for the thousandth time. Let me just say something to you, doesn't matter who you are, matters who you're with. And God has come to be with you in the person of Jesus to redeem you, he's God with us. Now listen, that's the doctrine, that's the real good news. But that should do something in our hearts. So let, let me land the plane right here on devotion. Let, let me do this. Uh, there are uh, our two daughters, Eliana and Felicity, different kids, different demeanors. Eliana's our daredevil. There are episodes of Paw Patrol that Felicity is scared of, okay? Uh, so what we did for Felicity is when Felicity was first born, um, we got her, this is what we call in the Howerton house, her boppy. This is boppy, okay? And whenever Felicity has boppy, everything changes. Scary becomes not scared. She loves this thing so much that the most common phrase we hear from Felicity isn't mommy, it's not daddy, it's not I love you, it's where's Boppy? That's the most common thing we hear out of Felicity's mouth. In fact, Felicity asked to watch me preach this sermon online because she's scared of what I'm gonna do to Boppy. Hi, Felicity, okay? She, she's watching, scared of this. Now listen, I'm gonna ruin something. I'm ruining something for her today. When, when we had Felicity, for all of you who are young parents, I'm about to give you very valuable parenting advice and I expect to thank you, okay? So listen, when we, got, when we brought Felicity home, what we didn't tell Felicity is, there's two boppies. <laughs> we didn't tell Felicity that. We didn't tell her that. And we knew it's such a big deal, we can never lose one because if we do, everything changes. She'll be terrified if she finds out that she's lost boppy. Now watch this. There can be two boppies because that's just an illusion. It just, the fact that boppy is with her doesn't really change anything. It just changes what's in her head. Can I say something to you? What really changes everything is understanding that God is with you. If you really understand that God is with you, that changes everything. When you're lost, he's with you as your guide. When you're alone, he's with you as your friend. When you're hurting, he's with you as your comforter. When you're sick, he's with you as your healer. When you're weak, he's with you as your strength. When you sin, <clears throat> he's with you as your savior. And I know this, listen, here's what I know. I know all of you right now, what's keeping you from thinking that God is really with you is your circumstances. You're looking around at your circumstances in life right now and you're like, ah, doesn't look like God is with me. Here's how God is with you. He's with you like he was with Joseph. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, little boy with big dreams. God gives him this dream that he's gonna elevate him. He'll be a ruler of his people. His brothers, his older brothers will kind of serve under him and his older brothers don't like that. So you remember what happens. They beat him, they try to kill him, they leave him for dead in a pit. He gets sold into slavery. In Egypt, he lives with integrity. He's falsely accused even when he lives with integrity. And living with integrity doesn't get him ahead. It actually gets him thrown in prison. And I, I want you to think about this. When Joseph was being beaten by his brothers, when he was in a pit, when he was in slavery, and when he was in prison, you know the question I think he was probably asking? I think he was probably asking, now where is God? Where is God in all this? Well, listen. Genesis 39, 21 tells us exactly where God was. Genesis 39, 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was with Joseph. He was there in the pit. He was there in the slavery. 
God was there in the prison and he was there turning the pit into the passageway to the palace where Joseph would fulfill his purpose. God was in it all the time in those circumstances, working in them for good. And listen, some of you right now, you're in the pit and you're wondering where God is. Listen, I know where God is. Genesis 39, 21 tells us, and the Lord is with you and he will use those circumstances. What Satan meant for evil, God will use for good. And he will elevate you. Not, I'm, saying, I'm not saying everything will go great in your life and you'll succeed physically. I'm saying he will elevate you so that you can use your position to bring glory to the living God. He is with you now. Now, let me just tell you this. This is something that every, uh, every senior saint in our church, for our younger Christians in the room, let me tell you something that every senior saint in our church can tell you from personal experience. What you're gonna learn the longer you walk with God is that it is far easier to see how God was with you in the rearview mirror than it is through the windshield. It's a lot easier to look back at your life and see how God was with you than it is to look forward in your life and see how God will be with you. Guys, I get, I get very emotional when I think back through my life and I see all the ways that God, by the way, if I, ever, if I get emotional in any spot in this sermon, it's gonna be right here. If I do that, you just start clapping, it'll emotionally confuse me and I'll get back on track. You just do that, okay? I get very emotional when I look back at my life and see how God was with me. Sometimes it was in little ways. Man, when I was in high school, dude, it was like more girls than I could count broke up with me or said no to a day with me. I don't know what, something was wrong with me, man. And I remember all those times like in my bedroom just going like, man, turn down again. God, where are you? You fast forward 20 years, see the same girl out in the city, kind of go, huh, God was with me. You know, it's like, hey, he was, look back, I can see it in the rearview mirror. Lord was with me, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes there's little things. But guys, I look back at my life and I can see ways that God was with me. Guys, God was with me and Jana when we first got married and we wrestled through five years of infertility. And Jana wanted more than anything in the world to be able to have a baby. And God was with us. He was with us when he put a desire for adoption in Jana's heart. Guys, God was with us when we stood in that adoption agency's room and somebody placed our precious Eliana in our hands for the first time. God was with us. And you guys know what the name Eliana means? It means God has answered because we knew that God had been with us through all the pain and he was working something for good. Guys, I look back at my life, God was with me and Janet when we first got married and we had a lot more love than we had money. Like it, it was, listen, it was literally a true thing that a date night for us was that we splurged and I upsized my McDonald's value meal. That's like literally a thing from when we first got married. And we look back and we chose uh, just in faith to put God first and we chose to tithe and we look back and God was with us. There were deacons in the church giving us $100 handshakes, just helping us get through a hard season. We had this little old car, this $800 car. Guys, I love that car. We prayed over that car. We anointed that car with oil. <laughs> About a quart a week <laughs> is what we did. And, uh, and sure enough, that car just kept going and going and going. And I look back and I see that God was with us. Guys, it was exactly a year ago this week that I preached my first message at Lake Point Church. Exactly a year ago, this, oh no, not right now, not right now, you, no, no, no. We, you can clap for the faithfulness of God in about 15 seconds. And I remember those, the Saturday night 
before I preached that first service, I was in a coffee shop in town and I was just, guys, I was absolutely terrified. Jana pointed out to me that I'm wearing the same sweater this week I wore that week, there you go. It's a, and I was just terrified. And I just knew that I was gonna walk in and that man, I, I was gonna be the sacrifice pastor, the guy after the guy that can't measure up, gets fired in a year, it goes terrible. And I look back at this year and God has been with us. And he's knit our hearts together with his church and God's hand is moving and the church is growing. We're seeing people saved and all that. And guys, that's happened because God is with us. He was with us the entire way. I look back, I remember earlier this year, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I had a season where I was having some anxiety attacks before I would come up to speak. That had never happened to me before. It's never happened to me since. And there were times when I was standing right there, literally thinking that I was gonna vomit and asking Steve, hey man, can you pinch hit? Can you do this thing right now? And I didn't think I'd be able to do it. But all along the way, while that was happening, I look back and I, I have watched those messages. And I look back and I stood on that stool or sat on that stool and God was with me. I can see it in the rear view mirror. He was with me the entire time, taking something that was really painful and working it for good. And listen, all those stories are amazing. They're great things, but here's what I know. Someday I will be laying on my deathbed and there will be people around me who are praying for God to heal me. And someday there will come a moment where God in his good, loving wisdom will choose not to heal me. And I will close my eyes for the very last time. And in that moment, I will die and I'll go to heaven. And in that moment, God will be with me forever. Why? Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He will be with us, he was with us yesterday, he's with us today, he'll be with us tomorrow, because that's his name. His name is God with us, and he's with you. He's with you right now, and if you understand that, that changes everything, the only question is, are you with him? That's the only question, are you with him? And so I wanna pray that he would impress that on your hearts right now. Will you pray with me, please? And Father, I ask that right now, that you would fill us with a sense of your presence and your nearness. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you for you coming to earth in human form and being with us so that you can sympathize with us in weaknesses, so that you could show us the character of God, so that you could redeem our lives from the pit. You could crown us with mercy and honor. So Father, thank you for doing that. God, I pray for anyone who is here who does not know you that today might be the day that they cross the line of faith and they go, hey, God is with me. I wanna be with him. And they place their faith in you for the forgiveness of sins. Would you please do that today? And I pray that you would save. You came that you would save. And I pray you do that. Father, we love you. We pray all those things in the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.